It's Cardboard Time, episode number 39, and I'm your host, Arwen Kathke. Thank you so much for being patient with me during my time off. We did have a few things going on that made life very hectic, including a pretty nasty stomach bug. And then I got to head to Washington, D.C. to pick up a Step Ahead Award. Now, for those who didn't know, I did receive an award along with 99 other women that are involved in science, technology, engineering, math, and production careers. I was incredibly honored. It was a beautiful, beautiful gala, a couple of days of classes and networking, and then I did take some time to go sightseeing in Washington. We got to go to the zoo Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, all sorts of really good stuff. I got to visit one of my favorite pizza places and pizza. And sadly, I didn't get to see our good friend, Matt Hawker. We were supposed to meet up while we were down there, and we did have a little bit of a COVID scare. Um, So unfortunately, we did not get to meet up with him. But it was a absolutely wonderful time filled with a lot of people from uh, my present and my past as well. I got to see one of my old bosses who I hadn't in quite a long time. It was really good to see him as well. So just still recuperating from that. And in more exciting news, I just got the notification that I will be covering Origins as media this year. Looking forward to seeing everyone down there. Uh, Make sure that you head back to episode 19 to listen to our newcomer's guide to Origins Game Fair if you're a first-time visitor this year or if you just want some tips and tricks. Uh, Also, don't be afraid to message me if you're heading down and maybe we can catch a game together or some food. You never know. So make sure that you get a hold of me. All my social media, I should be on it regularly. I'm extremely excited, really excited to see some old friends. I'm hoping to see everybody down there being safe. Well, let's head into the beer of the day. And this week's beer of the day is the Exotic Matter with Key Lime from R. Shea right here in Akron, Ohio. And this was a slightly sweet but creamy Imperial IPA with some strong vanilla notes added in. Uh, This was at a friend's moving department party. Uh, I wasn't sure what to get. I had never been to Arche before. I had seen the brewery. Allie works very close to that area. So uh, surprisingly, I hadn't been there yet. Uh, So I asked the bartender, you know, what do I get? What's good here? And uh, she said, I think you'll like this. This was an absolutely wonderful recommendation. I can't recommend this to other people highly enough. You know, with that creamy finish to it, that very slightly sweet taste, uh, that that good kind of tartness from the key lime, uh, a little bit of hoppiness, but not overboard that you would expect with a lot of IPAs. So this was a very unique beer and the unique venue as well. I was really amazed with the venue. Uh, all the seating is on the uh, second floor and then basically the tanks and all the brewing equipment is on the first floor. So you walk in on the second floor and all the brewing equipment is kind of down below you. You can see everybody kind of working and you can enjoy a beer. Uh, Plenty of very open air space. Uh, Wonderful venue. If you're ever in the Akron, Ohio area, definitely visit Arche downtown. Wonderful location, wonderful beer. If I didn't mention it already, 
I gave this one a 4.25 out of 5, and I would definitely order this one again. And now it's time to check the shelf of shame. And with everything that's been going on, I didn't have a huge amount of time to play some games, uh, but I also didn't have a huge amount of time to buy much either. Uh, so Bandata came in from Kickstarter and you can go all the way back to episode number 10 to listen to our interview with Chase Estep, the designer of the game. And I will be talking about that on this episode. The other new addition to the collection is Arc Nova. Everybody's been talking about it. I got it the first day that it was available. I got a lot of games. I also picked up the Space Base expansion. I don't know when I'm getting that to the table, but I am looking forward to that so much. Uh, but Arc Nova is in my collection. I did play it. I played it solo a few times, but I do want to wait to play with others to give it a review. And I'm really hoping for next episode for big number 40 to be able to talk about it. Really looking forward to kind of talking about this one. It's hit a lot of people's like game of the year lists. I know that BGG just uh, had their awards announced and I do believe that it was uh, definitely on there. So stay tuned for my thoughts on Arc Nova. And what I got played, I played four games, Bandata, obviously I'm gonna be talking about it, so I need to have played it first. Arc Nova, again, did get quite a few plays in, but they were all solo. And then Big Easy Busking, I finally got to the table, and Roar and Write. Both of those I will be talking on this episode, so let's get right into it. This episode is going to kind of be a solo spectacular. I didn't really have the opportunity with everything that was going on once again to uh, play many games with people. It was uh, kind of a, a crazy month for me uh, since I've been away, uh, but I did get to play some stuff solo and I'm very eager to talk about these games today. So let us start off with Roar and Write. It plays from one to 99 players. Plays in 15 to 20 minutes, designed by Carla Kopp, and the artists are Anna Bereza, Danny Devine, Katie Grierson, and John Merchant, and this was published by Galactic Raptor Games. It's time for the selection committee of the Animal Kingdom to choose the new monarch to rule over all. Now it's up to you to appease the five council members on the selection committee to win the regency. The catch? Each committee member is appeased in a different way, so you must choose wisely, as you can only appeal to one each age. Roar and Write is a competitive, pressure-luck game about impressing different council members on the selection committee, garnering favor throughout the five kingdoms, and completing your own personal objectives to rise to the top of the selection committee's choices for the new ruler of the animal kingdoms. Roar and Write is played over five ages, and in each age, a communal pool of six dice is rolled three separate times. You'll select dice in order to make offerings to the members of the council, and gain favor in the five kingdoms, ultimately trying to meet a council member's unique preferences, such as a certain sum, all ones, only odds, etc. The more selection council members you appease throughout the five ages, the more you are rewarded. The sooner you write down your last council offering of the age, the better. But don't forget your own needs too. Fulfilling your own personal agenda will boost your score as well. 
At the end of the fifth age, your personal agenda is revealed, scores are tallied, and the new monarch is revealed. So this was a review copy of the game. I will actually admit I was not terribly impressed with this at first sight. Uh, I did feel like it was a generic roll and write just looking at it, opening the box, looking at the instructions, kind of taking it all in. It just kind of felt generic. It felt like, okay, this is another roll and write. I've played a ton of these. As I played more, I was really incredibly pleased with the amount of choice and decision space that was in this game. I feel like overall, what this game really offers is a lot of good, juicy, crunchy decisions. How am I going to put these dice? Where? When am I going to stop? When am I going to go and push my luck? You know, is it worth pushing my luck? Uh, Because if you kind of get your dice early, you get a bonus and you get a bonus for just about anything in this game. Uh, So there's a lot of choice, a lot of decisions that are going to be going on in this game. And there was really a nice amount of pressure luck. Uh, It never felt me leaving like there was too big of a penalty. Uh, I always felt I could do something with the dice even if I busted out on the really big points game that I was looking for. So I always felt like there was an option there. And just, you know, sometimes you bust out and that happens. And that's what happens when you go for those big points is that there needs to be some sort of consequence. It didn't feel like it was a game ending consequence, which was nice. Lots of decisions on what dice to utilize and how. Uh, You balance between your personal objectives, appeasing those multiple council members, you know, filling your kingdoms up, obtaining your early appeasement bonuses. So all those things, you really want to do just about everything and you just cannot. Uh, You have to choose wisely. You have to figure out, okay, you know, is this bonus worth giving up over getting this bonus instead? And again, weighing out those bonuses with that pressure luck uh, really made for a pretty interesting game. This was a wonderfully produced game with fantastic dice, very unique animal symbols on the one side that all represented the different council members. I thought that it was a very, very well produced game. Uh, Very quick and easy teach as well. Uh, One caveat that I did have was I felt that the rule book was a little bit too technical. I really do like examples, a lot of pictures, a lot of diagrams showing you, you know, exactly what you can do. And there were some examples, but they were all kind of text. I do feel like there was an opportunity for maybe some more pictures. But really, once one player knows this game, it's incredibly easy to get everybody up and running. So the rulebook wasn't too terribly bad. It was just a little bit texty. And there is some variability on setup and how the council members are laid out. Uh, Your personal objectives also change from game to game. They are very similar themes, but what exactly you're going for and how everything is going to combo together, kind of what you're shooting for most of all, uh, does vary quite a bit. So uh, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing how the expansion works to add some additional variety. I've heard very good things, and I do have a copy of that expansion. So I uh, probably won't make that a full-fledged review, but I will touch on that as soon as I do get that to the table. I had other games that I was trying to get to the table as well that we'll talk about. But yeah, overall, I will be keeping this around for the long haul. Uh, it's great for larger gatherings or playing over Zoom if you do want a bit of variety in your rolling rights. And as I said before, 
Uh, I definitely want to play with the expansion in the coming weeks. I think this one is going to be really good for people who want something a little bit different with a roll and write, uh, but want something that's going to feel familiar enough to people who are familiar with Yahtzee, who are familiar with those kind of mechanics, but want to take people to the next step. I think that this is a great game to do that with. And, um, you know, I'm kind of reevaluating my my roll and write collection, trying to figure out exactly what I don't need in there. Games like Medici, the dice game, I think are kind of teetering on that uh, edge of not needing to be in my collection anymore. Uh, but this one's sticking around, and I'm hoping to get quite a few more plays in. Uh, I think Ali expressed some interest as well. So this is sticking around on my shelf, not going anywhere. That is Roar and Write. And the next game that I wanted to talk about was Bandata uh, that came in from Kickstarter. Bandata plays from one to two players in 10 to 20 minutes, designed by Chase Step. The artist was Dawson Cowles and Chase Step, and published by Runaman Games. Travel the world as you photograph beautiful birds. Get the best pictures by attracting birds with their favorite types of food. Will you have the best portfolio by the end? In Bandata, one to two players draft cards from an array that has an action listed at the top and a scoring method listed on the bottom. The actions on the cards allow players to manipulate 12 dice in three different colors. The scoring section on the cards relies on the 12 dice being in certain groups, orders, or values. Once each player has drafted four cards, they tally their scores, and whoever has the most points wins. Uh, So again, just as a reminder from up top, if this does sound interesting to you, make sure you go back to episode number 10, uh, one of the few times that you'll hear me uh, talk about going back to the old days. You know, hear more from from Chase and talking about this game. There were a lot of really uh, fun facts that came out during that conversation and a lot of good history. So if you're interested in more, definitely check out episode 10. And the first thing that struck me about this game was the gorgeous artwork. There's a lot of beautiful birds. It's a very, very pleasant game to look at. Um, You know, gorgeous, gorgeous artwork. And I saw the dice and I saw that it was a one or two player game and I was sold. Um, You know, even having Chase on the show, I really did feel like this was going to be a game that was going to be a hit uh, for me. So this was very easy to pick up. Uh, The instruction manual, for the most part, uh, was good to learn the overall game. I do feel that there's a little bit of an opportunity maybe for some rules clarifications in the solo scenarios, uh, which were clarified through BGG, but there were a couple of things I did have to look up on there. Um, But overall, during the main game, I thought that it it was incredibly well done. Things were very easy to pick up. And after one round, you're absolutely good to go with this game. I love the puzzle of having to balance the required dice manipulation with the scoring conditions. So again, you have an action on top of the cards that you're going to draft and then a scoring condition that's on the bottom. And during the solo game, you're only scoring at the end of the round. But when you play two players, you're going to score that you're going to score that card as soon as you pick it up and then you're going to score everything 
after uh, you go through and the other player has a chance to take their turn, everything scores in your tableau. So you're constantly trying to get these dice to read how you want them to. And in a solo game, it's a little bit easier to do that. You have a little bit less choice as far as your cards go, unless you're playing with the uh, scenario cards. But really, this game, especially with two-player, I can already see how it's playing. And having to constantly try to adjust these dice and the shared pool of dice is really interesting. And it was a really fascinating puzzle. I really enjoyed that aspect of this. So going back to those solo scenarios I was talking about before, I do feel like it might be a good idea for people who are really going through those to go through and find the required birds. Each scenario has one or two required birds to see what the scoring condition is on the cards. And and thematically, it really kind of makes more sense to wait and wait for the card to come up the way that the scenario cards are written. Uh, But basically, with how the scoring conditions work together, you don't want to build to something that's going to completely negate what engine you've been building towards. So um, you don't want a scoring condition that's going to contradict everything else that you have. But again, as as these cards are written, it kind of makes more sense that you're going out, you're getting this picture of the bird, and then the story advances. So there was a little bit of conflict there. It's minor, uh, but it is something that you might want to be aware of if you are going to go and get this game and you are going to play those solo scenarios. You might just want to see, okay, what's the scoring condition uh, looking like so I don't build a engine that's completely nullified. But otherwise, I love the idea of keeping players engaged in a series of very short games that tells a story. The solo played extremely well. Uh, It was very, very easy to manage. I played quite a few quick rounds, so you just play one round after another. Again, 10 to 20 minutes, and this is very true to that. You're, You're going, you're drafting, you're manipulating the dice, you're scoring, and you do that four times. That's the game. Um, So it's extremely short, but very good decisions that come out of that. Uh, No color vision issues with this game whatsoever. I was very happy to see the choice of dice. You know, I did not have an issue whatsoever. There were also symbols that once I got the dice where they needed to be in the rows that they needed to be, everything was done through symbols. It wasn't calling out a color. It was calling out the symbol. The symbol was uh, labeled where you put the dice next to it, and then you worked on that row of dice. So uh, very well done by Chase. I I do commend him on uh, this design decision. I thought that that was brilliant. And again, I can really envision this two-player battle over making dice kind of fit your scoring engine uh, while trying to minimize your opponent's And it really, really makes me want to play this with another player because as well as this plays solo, I cannot wait to get this out with another person. So final thoughts, this is sticking around. It's a very small form factor. It's, you know, definitely thicker than a button shy game, but it's maybe a little bit bigger in width and length dimensions. So very easy to throw in a bag, easy setup, 
easily repeatable. You can go for multiple rounds. You know, if you have half an hour, you might get a couple rounds going. Uh, if you have more time, you might just sit there, you know, have a couple beverages and uh, just play this as a nice relaxed game, you know, between two people or by yourself. That is Bandada. And the last game that I wanted to talk about was one that was on my Twitter top five games that I wanted to try list, and that is Big Easy Busking. Uh, Arc Nova was also on that list, but Big Easy Busking was kind of the surprise for most people to see, and it just always looked interesting to me. This plays from one to five players in 45 to 60 minutes, designed by Joshua J. Mills. The artists are Adrian Azell and Andrew Thompson, published by Weird Giraffe Games. Big Easy Busking is a area control game for one to five players about being the best street musician in New Orleans. The game is played over three days where players choose which locations to play their set of songs. It takes time to play a song, so players decide on their next turn whether they're going to use all of their energy at the location or to only use some of it and save the rest for later songs. If a player matches the mood of the people with the song that they're playing, they can get bonus tips. After three rounds, the player with the most money wins. So again, this was a game that I absolutely was itching to play. I really wanted to play this. I had heard so many good things about it. I was sent a review copy. So this, again, really intrigued me because it was just such a different and unique theme. It just had a different look to it. I really do like different small games. I like picking those up every once in a while because I have found some absolute gems that way. And uh, spoilers, this is definitely one of those as well. Uh, Super easy to pick up mechanisms uh, for players who are familiar with area control, but it's different enough not to feel samey. So essentially you're putting these energy tokens on a card and that is what's going to serve as your area control mechanism. so you're you're playing this song. The song doesn't end during your turn. So what you play goes next to a certain area. And then on your next turn, you get to decide, you know, exactly how that uh, energy is distributed uh, based on where you placed it. So I thought that that was really neat. Um, there, It adds a lot of tension. Uh, this is a very colorful and evocative game. It feels right at home with the theme. It feels like you are in the French Quarter. I've only been to New Orleans once, but I will say that this felt right at home. I felt like uh, I was right back there, and um, this was extremely well done. Uh, Zero color vision issues, which actually tends to be somewhat rare with games with cubes in them. A lot of times I'll see the standard red and green cubes, which I can't differentiate between, um, or the blues and the purples, that kind of thing. So a really good choice with the uh, color vision. I did get a set of upgraded tokens as well, and I didn't have any uh, sort of issues with them uh, with color vision either. There are nice little shapes. You had the the fleur de lis and you know trumpets and gators and stuff like that. So uh, really, really cool, really well done uh, with those as well. 
The area control is very tense, as I said. You're really often deciding these areas with one unit of energy. So uh, really making smart decisions on how you allocate that energy is going to be key to winning this game. So I, I really like that. You, you weren't having this smorgasbord of, you know, 27 influence in one area. Uh, it was it was a matter of putting four or five you know, maybe six in a single area and trying to attract this crowd. So I like really tight area control like that. And I thought that they did a really good job kind of maintaining that tension. Uh, this is probably the most portable area control game that I have. It's a very small box, uh, but again, a big experience. Those who listen to the show on a regular basis know me. Uh, small packages, big experiences. Um, really, really like games that are able to do that very well. Uh, I do like to travel. I do like to take games with me. I do like a small footprint game. And this definitely serves that. If you have a normal size table, this will absolutely fit there. And you will get a very nice experience out of that. And I love games that players can use victory points to make even more victory points. Uh, so you're basically spending VP to make VP. And this was extremely well implemented in the tip system here. The ability to go and you might spend some of that energy going and learning a new song so that you can better place things. Uh, you can better match these symbols that are out there to get these little bonuses, uh, which are extremely important. But being able to spend that money in order to perhaps, you know, make this big sum at the end of the round. I find those those choices very juicy. I really liked that aspect. This was really well done in this game as well. It was a very solid, easy to manage experience solo. Most of the time was spent asking, do I really want to push for one more area or do I want to pass? Uh, the game does come with three different kind of automa models where, you know, they're targeting different things, you know, whether they're looking to get a bonus threshold, whether they're looking to match the mood of a song so they get this little bonus tip uh, each and every single round. It, it did make for something that felt a little bit samey at times, but there was a little bit of uncertainty there where you didn't quite know where that was gonna go. So basically you could have a bad card flip or you could have a really good card flip. So I, I think it made for a good experience solo. I do want to see this at three to four because I think this will absolutely shine with the human element involved. Um, so many times with Otama, you can kind of predict where it's gonna go. You can predict kind of what it's gonna do. You essentially outsmart it. So you're outplaying it, you're outthinking it, you're thinking through this logic tree of, okay, well, it's gonna go here, so if I go here, it'll be safe. With three to four players, there's so much going on that I feel that that is going to be such a sweet spot for this game, and the human element is gonna add a lot. But that is 
something that I don't think I'm going to have to wait too terribly long for. And and my final thoughts, this was a absolute winner of a game solo, but it's going to absolutely shine with three to four. And I am going to request to get it out very shortly, uh, probably at Origins. I think this is going to be on my short list of uh, games I bring to Origins. I really want to uh, play with a group because I think a lot of people will enjoy this game if they haven't played it before. And you really want to expose more people to this game. So I was I was right for wanting to play this game. I was right for putting this on my top five most wanted to play games. And there is zero chance of this game leaving my shelves. So that is big, easy busking. This is a little bit of a shorter episode, and I think we're going to end it here today. I did want to touch base and review those games. They had been kind of staring at me on the table and, you know, drawing me in and saying, hey, you know, we, we won't take much of your time. Well, we're easy to play. And I'm, I'm glad that I got these out solo. They're all games I do want to play with other people. Uh, Roar and Write, I feel like I can get out, you know, solo very, very easily and still have a fantastic time with it. But the other two, I really want to get those out uh, with a uh, bigger player count because I think that's where they're really going to shine. Lots of events coming up. It is convention season, so we are starting to get into that convention mood. Uh, I will be at Origins uh, starting on June 8th with coverage on my social media. I haven't quite determined how I'm going to handle that yet. I do need to figure that out, Um, but I will be posting at the very least with photos and maybe some video kind of like what I did last year. Uh, just not sure how I'm going to step up my game this year. Maybe make some additional videos with a couple of quick interviews. So if you have any suggestions for that, let me know. And then a couple of months after that, I will again be at Gen Con. I am so excited to be covering Gen Con as media. This is so incredible. And I I am so happy to be able to bring these conventions to you uh, this summer and, uh, you know, interact with everybody, see what everybody, um, you know, thinks of these games that are coming out. It's going to be big release season again. You know, looking forward to seeing what is on the docket. We will see what happens. But again, if there's any particular coverage that you want to see, please make sure that you get a hold of me. And if you're going to Origins, especially, definitely get a hold of me on my social media, which if you need to get a hold of me, you can always go to the website at cardboardtime.com. Our Instagram and Twitter is at cardboard underscore time. We have our Board Game Geek podcast page and our Board Game Arena group. Uh, You know, just go in there, search for Cardboard Time, start up a game, or just hang out and chat with us. And as always, if you have any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics or things that you want us to cover, uh, please email cardboardtime at gmail.com. And once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. Happy gaming.